Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Well, everybody, welcome to season three of How Not to DM. Boy, if you had told me a year and a half ago I'd be starting a third season of my podcast, I don't know if I would have believed you or not. If you had told me all of the cool people I had gotten to talk to, I definitely wouldn't have believed you. So really excited to be starting this third season. Tons of great guests already recorded and lined up. Tons more that I'm working with to schedule. So really excited for everything that's about to happen for season three and glad that you are along for the ride too. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons. Patrons, thank you so much. You help make the show possible and without you, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So thank you to Callum, Robert, Matthew, Jay, Paul, Tobias, Carol, Benjamin, Fernando, Justin, Matt, and Joaquin. If you would like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my link tree or head to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, DM for more information. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support a local LGBTQ plus youth charity called Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information about Encircle and their great work. Couple of other quick announcements. Number one, I was on a couple of shows during the break, so go check out the Cal's Questions from Ampersand Productions. That's with Callum and Paul. They're actually some of my patrons, but they are also really cool creators. They have their own show called Homebrew Havoc, a stream show. Go, go check them out. Paul also does graphic design and makes intro and outro videos for um, you know YouTube stuff that you're doing or. He makes videos to help promote new stuff. So yeah, go check out their work. Uh, I was also on the Next to Nothing podcast. You can go watch that on YouTube or uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Mandachi and Mr. Green Elite for having me on there and to uh, Danny Kay for setting it up. And then lastly, around this time, my guest spot on Thinking Critically with Danilo should be coming out. So be on the lookout, you know, check out my social pages. I'll be posting links to stuff like that. But Yeah, you can go check out my guest spots and just uh, hear a little bit more about what I have to say about the game. Lastly, my friend Matthew and I have been working on a top secret project, which should be, if not announced yet, should be being announced very soon. He and I are very excited about it. Be on the lookout for announcements about cool projects that we're setting up. And uh, if you'd like to learn more, I'll be setting up a landing page shortly if it isn't already built. So be on the lookout for links to that so that we can collect your email and send you cool information about the project we're working on. Okay, that's it for announcements, I promise. Let's get to the good stuff. All right, now for the moment we've all been waiting for, on to this episode's guest intro. Liv Kennedy, Jeremy Cobb, and Jasper William Cartwright make up the tremendous trio, Three Black Halflings. They're actors, content creators, and most of all, big fans of TTRPGs. They have a weekly show where they chat about representation in gaming, among other topics. And they also do actual play shows, game design, and more. They have Chronicles of Wagadoo, an actual play that they are running in kind of an Afrocentric TTRPG setting. It's really fun, really cool. So check out their links in the notes for more information and enjoy their interview with me today. (laughs) 
I am originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. That was where I was born and raised, although I used to come to the UK very regularly because my grandmother lives here. And my mother came over to the UK at the end of the Windrush generation, which if you're not American, look it up. It's really interesting. Basically, World War II happened. Britain got basically destroyed and they had to hire or they had to basically get put a bunch of Caribbean people on boats and have them come and rebuild the entire country. And my mom came over at the tail end of that. So she had been a British citizen and my grandmother and my mom's family in general was over here. So I've been coming to the UK since I was, I think, either four months or 14 months. I can't remember for sure. I came over uh, and would visit like once or twice a year. And then after high school, I went to college in New York for a couple of years, wasn't a huge fan of it, came over here for drama school and then discovered after graduating drama school and going through all of like the hassle of getting a visa and so forth that I'd been a citizen the whole time and no one in my family had known it. <laughs> so the UK charged me a citizen of the country for a visa to be able to stay here and go to school here. Uh, so, Shame. Okay. Shame. Yeah. 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 They forthcoming with a refund on that? No. Something tells me probably not. No, definitely not. A hundred percent no. Uh, I also was paying like international student fees, oh. which I would not necessarily have had to do if I had known. But That's the tough. good news is that I could be here anyway. I get to stay here now. For the past few years, I've been bouncing back and forth between the US and the UK working as an actor and so forth. But as far as nerd stuff goes, I've been in nerd stuff since I was a very small child. I'm OG nerdy. I engage with things in a nerdy way. If I like something, I tend to find out a bunch of things about it uh, and read a bunch of facts and so forth. So yeah, I like all sorts of different nerdy stuff. And my tentacles are ever spreading into oh, nerd. I got into D&D basically because one of my friends was like, hey, come play this game with me. And I'd heard of the game and had actually tried to get into a game earlier that year. But the people were like, no, sorry, it's full. And I was like, oh, OK. So I played this game. And then I was like, yeah. And then my friend started DMing and we were like, yeah. And then I started DMing and now we're here. I bet it wouldn't be full for you now, Jeremy. Yeah. Like, look at you now. Yeah, look at me now. Where are those guys? (laughs) What's crazy about this is they were like, yeah, if you've never played before, go watch the show Critical Role, which I'd never heard of at the time. And now I haven't gotten to see that dude. But if I had, I'd be like, hey, (laughs) I've had that guy on my show. yeah, yeah, I guess you just interviewed oh, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I was just re-listening, oh. and I heard the episode where you guys said, hey, Matt, if you're listening, you should come on. I think it was the one where you were talking about that stream he was cast to play on in 2020. Anyway, pretty funny. Yeah. You like went oh, from there yeah. to him showing up. Yeah. Anyway, pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, like knowing Matt, though, like he probably would have listened to that episode and just been like, yeah, that's really oh. fair and valid. He's like genuinely so down to earth with that kind of thing that I absolutely wouldn't surprise me if he's listened to the various episodes in which we openly criticize <laughs> Critical Role. But like, we always do it Aww. from a place of love. You know what I mean? We're always like, hey, we love you guys. But this was honestly, he's the first person to admit he makes mistakes and like it's not for everybody, right? He's absolutely. like, if there was a yeah. president of the yeah. TTRPG community and he was it, he would be the first one yeah. to tell you all the things that are wrong with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He'd be the George Washington. Where like he <laughs> he'd step down. Yeah, he yeah, the end of it was really, like, yeah. yeah, I did it because I felt I had a responsibility to do it, but I I don't want to keep doing it. I would pay a lot of money to see Matt Mercer in a glass spun wig. That'd be good. That'd be a good cosplay for him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm definitely getting pictures of him as well, like the idea of him kind of at sunset sitting under a like fig tree. Do you know what I mean? Just like retiring from the CTRPG community, just at peace. Now, <laughs> wooden teeth, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wooden teeth. <laughs> That's the final shot. It's like him looking stoic, and then he just smiles to reveal a set of like thick, wooden beautifully teeth. carved wooden. Mm. <laughs> All right, Liv, you're up next. Does that make uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan Benjamin me? Franklin? Uh, by the way, just throwing that out there. I if Matthew Mercer, I don't know, or is he Thomas? Je- well, no, he's not Thomas Jefferson. No. But no. if Matthew Mercer is the George Washington, does that make Brennan the Benjamin Franklin? John Adams? I mean, he's got to be important, mm. but all oh, of he those could guys be the John are the worst. I don't know. That makes us yeah, Hamilton, totally. right? Yeah, right. That makes totally. us three yeah, Hamilton, yeah. surely. I was going to say that all my mm. knowledge of like a presidency <laughs> comes from pretty much Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. It's that's pretty that's close. exactly where I'm at as well. So, oh, okay. yeah. It's pretty close. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, Liv, go ahead. Take it away. So I'm originally from Cardiff in Wales, oh. which is in the UK. It's a different country to England. I went to like a Catholic school, even though I'm not super Catholic, but I went there and did a bunch of hymns. I was actually going through with my colleagues and we were like <laughs> going through like the different like hymns that we all just like knew and we were like, oh, this is a lot. But yes, it was a fun unifying experience. I grew up and I was super into like acting and did like acting in college, got a tech in that, which is fine. I wanted to do acting in university, but my drama teacher in college wasn't super supportive. And so I was like, okay, I'll just do some writing then. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I maybe could have hacked it. Maybe. Look at you now, Liv. I'm sorry, I was going to give yeah. you the same glow up because, <laughs> like, look at you now. Thank you so much. You're doing it. Yeah. Look, D&D and role-playing is acting and 100%. no one can tell me different. Yeah. Heck yeah, it's absolutely the same. Like, everyone's a theatre kid and we all know that this is like our little dream coming true. So, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I was in <laughs> um, Dracula in high school. Yeah, it was fun. I was in Dracula. But, oh, wow. Yeah, nice. But, I mean, look. But now you can be, be yeah. and that's the beauty you of it. Now you can play Dracula. Now you're strong. You can play Dracula. So it's all yeah, it's You're all strong. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> I went to Kingston University in London, the university, where I did like creative writing, but then like I realized in third year that I hadn't done much. So I joined a bunch of like extracurricular stuff. And that is where I first played D&D. Yeah, my third year, basically, I was like, okay, I've got to start saying yes to things. I know I'm terrified, but I'm going to start saying yes. So somebody posted on Facebook like, hey, does anyone want to play D&D? And I was like, finally, it's my time. I am so afraid of social interaction, but I'm going to do this. And yeah, so I went along to that session. There was just like a handful of us, like five of us all together, including the DM. It was just such a a moment of like, it just clicked in my head and it was like, oh my God, I love this. This is like something that I'm thriving on doing. I love making friends through D&D. It's so nice to be able to just kind of like maybe have your actual self take like a back seat for a little bit and then just like have that kind of in place so that you can kind of get to know people in like a safe space. It was something that really allowed me to like branch out and probably significantly help my social anxiety, which is lovely. But yeah, and also in terms of nerdy stuff, yeah, God, I'm a massive nerd. Like anything that was remotely like slightly alternative, I was into it. Like we were discussing like how Harry Potter right now it's ex- extremely mainstream, but back then uh, it was pretty nerdy. That was my main thing, my go-to. But then, like, I read like every like coming of age like YA novel that was available to me. Mm. Twilight was big thing for me. <laughs> 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 it was a big thing. I went to pr- Twilight prom. Should I out myself and say that? 
What's Twilight uh, Prawn? Yeah, you got to explain now. <laughs> yeah, what does that look That's like? That's what everyone does ask. Yeah, and now, oh God. <laughs> Twilight Prom is basically where you go to like, I don't know, a Hilton hotel and they have like a handful of like the actors from Twilight there and you go there, you buy stuff. It's basically a con, but you also get to dress up in a nice dress and like have a dance. So yeah, I went to Twilight Prom. Huh. <laughs> I feel like the nerdiest part of what you just said was the fact that you casually said Twilight Prom as <laughs> if we would know what it was. It's Twilight Prom. I think that's what really was nerdy about it. It's like, yeah, I went to Twilight Prom. You know, oh, am I outing myself? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. You haven't been to Twilight Prom? It's not a bad idea, <laughs> though. I now feel like Three Black Halflings has to go to Twilight Con because I kind of really want to see Jeremy go and like uh... full vampire dress <laughs> like to a Twilight event. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> and like the idea of Jeremy getting like set upon by people being like, oh, tell us what like book you love <laughs> to Jeremy, which is really, I find that really yeah. insane. I did not read Or me, honestly. Mm-hmm. I definitely yeah. did not read Yeah, Twilight. exactly. You must be sparkly to enter. Yeah, cover the yeah, glitter. Definitely. No, exactly. Honestly, from a marketing perspective, it makes a lot of sense. If their target audience is, you know, like kids yeah. in high school, that's perfect. Prime real estate I was at, at 15, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last but not yeah, least, yeah. Jasper. Basically, grew up, uh, I always kind of tell this as a part of the story, which is like I grew up in like a very like white middle class area. And so I think generally the idea of like escapism on any platform was good. I was like, cool, I could not be here because mm. this is rubbish. Mm. <laughs> And so, yeah, I'm much the same as Liv, like watching films, reading books, anything that was kind of vaguely to do with like werewolves or, you know, mine wasn't Twilight, but like the Vampire's Apprentice. I think that's what Mm. the saga or whatever it's called. But those books slapped pretty hard and I enjoyed those a lot. And I was really into the Aragorn books as well, which took up like Mm. most of my childhood because, geez, those books are long. Did you finish the series? Yeah, there's truly so much walking in those books. Like, it's absolutely bananas. I only read the first two, and then it took him, like, 50 years to publish the third one. And by that point, I'd kind of moved on. And I can honestly say it's not worth it. (laughs) The final book was a bitter disappointment. (laughs) But, you know, those were great. And I think all of that kind of fueled a lot of my sort of general nerddom. And I I played, like, an out-of-the-box D&D when I was younger, but like my friends, because definitely because of some slightly racist stuff, mm. were like, oh, you can play this mage because she's brown. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I kept dying because I was like the squishy wizard and I didn't know tactics. I was like 10 or whatever. <laughs> like I didn't kind of play D&D properly, but I used to do this thing where I created like a this huge map, basically, like drew it out with like pieces of paper stuck together created my own world and i basically allowed my friends to create their own armies which i then gave like point values to all of their units and stuff like this so like one of my friends had like a skeleton army basically i was kind of getting into warhammer but found it all a bit overwhelming and confusing and very like adult Mm. you know what i mean like there's like whenever i went to the warhammer shop it was just like a bunch of like big dudes with beards and stuff and i was a bit like ah I don't really yeah. know. Like, and we'd just sort of run out. Plus, we just didn't have like a ton of money, and Warhammer so is expensive as hell. Yeah. And so, like, basically, just kind of tried to make our own version. But then, basically, at like the beginning of every lunch, all the players would have their own individual turns where they could move units and do stuff. And then at the end of lunch, we'd like role play. You know, like if two armies were meeting, mm. you'd have a chance to like resolve the conflict before it happened, and maybe agree to like a trade deal. And my friends would just be like, "Well, I have." diamonds and i'd be like okay you have diamonds now (laughs) there was truly no rules to this land it was a lot of fun 
the kind of nerdy space has always been very much a part of, you know, my kind of identity, I think, you know, read a lot of comics when I was a teenager, then definitely went through like a phase where I took myself way too seriously uh-huh. during drama school, where I was like, yeah, I need to be a serious actor or whatever. And then I was like, oh, what a load of crap. Okay. <laughs> 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 I just wasted like prime years where I could have been just like nerding out with people about like this stuff. But yeah, so to compensate now everything in my life is nerdy mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> started three black halflings and just as an excuse to talk about nerdy stuff all the time Thank there's you. nothing better than having a podcast where you just get to talk about nerdy stuff all the time like honestly it's been yeah. such a great outlet yeah, yeah. It's so good yeah, yeah 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 it's fantastic it's truly awesome especially one where you've created truly as little rules as there is on three black halflings in that like i really feel like our audience gives us a free pass to talk about anything we want there's nothing so far that people have been like oh that seems a bit like off piece for you guys <laughs> we talk about literally whatever we want i made the guys do a stranger things episode the other day purely because i was just like i love stranger things let's talk about it <laughs> <laughs> and we vaguely managed to tie it into dnd it was very big <laughs> but it was a good episode yeah, though yeah. I, was, was I, I think it worked i mean i like to think yeah, it i think it worked yeah, well yeah. yeah and like you said the lore is confusing so it makes sense to need an episode to talk about it so mm-hmm. well yeah exactly mm-hmm. there you go absolutely yeah grew up in the, the south of england now live up in manchester uh it's great up in manchester i love it yeah just very excited about like just like what's next for the show and this space i think it's really cool and great to see you know other people coming through it's great the big question i love asking people on the show is whether it was when you were starting out or you know currently within the last few weeks anytime in between what do you feel like are some of the big mistakes you've made while you've been running games and what are some things or lessons that you've learned that you would pass on to listeners? And they can be really basic ones that you see a lot, or they could be something really specific that you feel like you stumbled into. So yeah, what do you feel like are some of the big things you've learned so far? It really depends because I feel like with GMing as well as with like a lot of other tasks, like a lot of performance tasks, for example, you notice way more things about what you're doing than anyone else does, or at least, or more accurately, different things, Mm -hmm. because you know what you were trying to do, whereas nobody else does. They're just guessing at what you were trying to do. And in most cases, they're just engaging with what you actually do. For me, it's like, oh, I come away from a game maybe being like, oh, I felt like I didn't include this piece of information and didn't do this thing and that thing that I really would have wanted to say. Whereas the players might be coming away being like, oh, that was really fun. I enjoyed blah, blah, blah. And we got some cool info. I think I would have to at least flag up that to some degree, the GM mistakes often are mistakes that don't actually affect the game that much. Mm. Astute observation. Yeah, in terms of um, actual like mistakes that perhaps everybody noticed, I would say like really low grade ones would be like, oh, I don't remember this piece of information that I had made up a while ago. Let me see if I find it in my notes. Like I forgot to copy it onto this set of notes. Probably the worst thing that ever happened for me or the two worst things that ever happened for me were once I tried to do a one on one session with a player where they were trying to be like trained as basically like a superhero vigilante by this shadowy figure and they were doing like rogue levels and stuff from a druid they were taking like rogue levels and as part of that i was like okay since we're working on like investigation and logic skills it makes sense to come to them with like puzzles and riddles not knowing that the player themselves is terrified of puzzles and riddles oh, in a one-on-one Aww. oh <laughs> 
Yeah, and it was one on one. There was nothing to be done. Because I was like, I didn't want this to just be combat. You know, this is not mm. just about fighting. This is about mm. other stuff. Now I'm sitting here like, well, I literally can't. Like, the idea of just having you roll for information is also, like, terrible. So there's nothing yeah. I can do about that. That was one thing. Mm. And then the other thing was, this is pre-Three Black Halflings. I was having difficulty pacing things with one of my groups. Where it was like... I was trying to give them more freedom to just do what they wanted to do without trying to introduce things into the plot to force them to move on. But they were not like, okay, we did this thing. Now let's move on. They were just like, I mean, if you just let us, we'll just stay. But then they would be like, just feels like we're not really doing anything. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, but I, what? You could have just said you didn't have anything to do. The only reason we were doing this is because I was letting you do them. And they're like, what? And then they were like, let's have more combat. So I made a combat and they were like, this combat was terrible. And then I was like, this what? is Excuse this me. is a low point. <laughs> Are you sure this is a mistake that you made? I feel like this is a mistake you're playing. It made. was the first time I'd ever even made a map. I spent hours making this volcano map. I'd built like this whole battle that was supposed to be like really intense and dire and there was smoke everywhere. So like there was obscured stuff and monsters lurking in various areas and lava as a potential obstacle. I think one of them was like, that was fun. And the rest of them were like, man, that's Imagine so- Jeremy was like actively just subtweeting me and Jasper right now. Imagine this was successful. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> we're like, what? <laughs> oh, you made a map? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Honestly, I think if Liv or Jasper had been in that game, we wouldn't have had the same issue. <laughs> <laughs> we would have been like, yeah, Jeremy, we love this thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say the root of those mistakes yeah. is knowing your players. And that was something that I, I'm still trying to get a better handle on is knowing like, oh, do I need to introduce plot elements to force forward progress? Or do I need to like avoid certain things like, for example, puzzles or riddles or so forth, because the players just flat out don't enjoy engaging with them, stuff like yeah. that. I think is extremely important for GMing. Yeah. And mm. like you said, you spend a lot of time and you're like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And it's just miscommunication at the root. And I say just, but it is definitely something you can rectify by just working with them a little bit and realizing, hey, mm. what I think is cool and what I want you know, to happen is not necessarily what everybody else wants. So, so I think uh, something that it took me a long while to get my head around, but eventually once I figured it out, really helped me to um, GM. The mistake I was making was over planning. Yeah, yeah, everyone's nodding. <laughs> yeah. We all agree that you overplan. <laughs> yeah, I do. None I really of us have played in one of your <laughs> games. We're all just like, mm. The most recent GMing I did was when we played Thirsty Sword Lesbians over on Dicebreaker. Mm. And I was stressed for so many days before, like, this is going to be great. Mm. And like, we've been building up to play this TTRPG for ages and it's going to be perfect. And I'm going to make sure that I get all the story beats that I want in there and blah, blah, blah. And all I did was just stress myself out um, when it was kind of needless because like I could have, you know, just planned out something completely vague and like my players would have been able to kind of work with me to make a really good story. So yeah, my advice is to just like make sure you don't overplan and don't stress yourself out. I think when I stopped thinking of planning a session out 
because originally I think I was thinking of it like a video game. Like I've got to make sure I program every single NPC mm, and yeah, every single yeah. area you can go to to make sure I completely understand the layout of this world. Got the dialogue trees and everything. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, if you stray yeah. from my dialogue tree, I will end you. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I will get stuck on an infinite yeah. loop, which will drive you insane. <laughs> You're just asking the same question and getting the same response. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then I just don't want to like interact with your character, so I'm like, who goes there? Oh, it must have been a mouse. And then I like, like <laughs> <laughs> walk yeah, walk um... <laughs> everyone was crouched, so you couldn't see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tall. Swear this place is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah once i got past trying to like yeah make my world into like a video game world or whatever and realized that a lot of it just grows and builds like with like you and your players like actually feeling out the world that is um what really allowed me to like actually make games that i and other people enjoy so that is um something that really helped me out that's my major point, really. I just wanted to piggyback quickly on the puzzles and riddles thing that Jeremy brought up because I think it's a really good thing. I love doing puzzles and riddles in my games and I did actually find, I think, like a pretty good cheat way of doing them, which mm. is I will come up with three ways of doing the puzzle. And it would be like one kind of, this is kind of how I want the players to do it. One, like, if this is starts to take a minute and like, I want to move on because they're just either not like, it's not as fun. It's not getting fun or whatever. We can kind of either it, like be an event that happens and it could kind of be like trigger like a combat or something, you know, but like, oh, you kind of slightly messed up and bats come into the room mm -hmm. and then they'll just fight the bats. And then do you know what I mean? Right. We can kind of move on. And then the third one is just like flat out, we are not understanding this like at all. And I'll just like either drop a big hint in or like, again, find a way of like shifting the room somehow mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. something like that. Because I'm very aware that like my brain works in a certain way and not everyone else's does. And so what seems like a really obvious clue to me, yeah. people will just be like, we just will not see it like at all. The amount of times I've been sat at a table going, how are you not seeing this? I don't get it. I can picture this perfectly in my brain. Oh, you're not seeing exactly what I'm seeing, which is yeah. why this doesn't make sense. Puzzles are tricky. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And then my final two points, because I had time to prepare whilst listening to these other great answers. Again, piggybacking off what Jeremy said, but just like learning to check in with my players mm -hmm. has really revolutionized my gameplay. Just taking the time, either before a session, after a session, whatever, just get a bit of one-on-one -on -one time, say, how are you enjoying the session? What's going well? What do you like about your character? You know, especially if like home games, I'm very liberal if people are like, ah, I just don't like my character, like this just isn't feeling right or this isn't feeling right. And like trying to find narrative ways to help them. Like I've had quite a few characters like change subclass, mm -hmm. for instance, or whatever, but will like find a way of doing it narratively, stuff like that, that I can think just can increase people's like enjoyment totally. and investment. And then the biggest one, which is, again, in tandem with Liv, but just loosen up. Yeah, like, I think the best way you can prep for a D&D &D game is just to be as kind of, like, free and easy and, like, in a kind of positive mind frame as you can be, where you're just, like, you can just be in a place where you can react to stuff. Because I think that's where you're going to get the most rewarding experience, is when you are truly in the moment with you can be in the moment with your players and you can respond to the stuff that they're giving you because then i think that the world can feel as active and alive the players are doing stuff and it's having real world kind of effects and consequences and you know much like live i was the same when i started 
the big mistake I kept making was like, I'd plan the world out and it had to be, you know, like that NPC has to be at the tavern at sundown. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even though they have a conversation with that NPC and that NPC now is so suspicious of them, there's no way this NPC is going to mm-hmm. the tavern at sundown. He's now going to go and do his plan, but earlier or do you know what I mean? Whatever it is. So like, yeah, just loosening up, I think. Because like, that was just such a big mistake I used to make all the time where I'd just be so rigid yeah. with like, oh no, this is the way that I want this to happen. And it would just be like, why are we doing this? Why am I forcing my players down this like weird rabbit hole? We're kind of trying to fit this like square peg in a round hole and it's clearly not working. Yeah, you forget that it's not storytelling, it's collaborative storytelling. I think, yeah, because you can kind of convince yourself that all the pressure is on you. And I think that, you know, as we always say, it's an equal split, I think, amongst all the players and the DM. You know, the DM is providing the framework, but like they should be bringing a lot of the meat on the bones kind of thing. They should be bringing all the like life and enthusiasm. When I say enthusiasm, that doesn't mean you have to be like, yeah, let's go. It means you're just like you're bringing like a, the mm-hmm. energy of your character. You're bringing whatever their wants and needs and whatever their life is. Like you're bringing that all to the table so that it can all mix together and make a really compelling story. Because like one of my pet peeves, I think, is a you know when you see or find players who just kind of like, yeah, make something cool happen. You know what I mean? And they'll just kind of like wait for a combat or whatever. And you're like, come on! Mm. Like, you need to be engaging with the DM if they're teeing stuff up. You know, like, oh, you see a figure down an alleyway or whatever. Like, role play that stuff out. Like, see what's happening. Be alive to that Mm. stuff. And that bleeds really well into the next thing I wanted to chat about, which is like what you feel makes an ideal player in D&D. And this can be just like really simple stuff. But Mm. you made a good point there, Jasper, of passive players who are just like, entertain me you know give me stuff to do like Mm. that's not Mm. how this works you know and i mean i guess some games could be like that if all you want is to just follow the railroad and you know kill the monsters and get the treasure but if you want to role play and you want it to feel like a real and interesting and living world you got to give and take you've got to feed into it absolutely just to jump off that because i think in terms of like passive players, I think a lot of players don't view combat as something that they can be actively mm-hmm. involved in a lot of the time. And like one of my favorite things is always when my players are like, okay, I don't know if I can do this. That's my favorite line in like D&D. Like when you hear that as a DM, it's like, oh, yes, give it to me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you want to swing off the chandelier, do a backflip and try and get in through the window and what? like, do you want me to do some just wild shenanigans? Like always like, I love it when players ask what like the environment is like. Mm. You know what I mean? Like like what's in the room? What can I use to my advantage? Like that is way like to Jeremy's players <laughs> who yeah. said this combat is boring. <laughs> I would absolutely say to them like find ways to entertain yourself in the combat as well. Do you know what I mean enrich the space yourself? If you're on Did you say it was a volcano? Jeremy? Yeah, I mean to be fair, they didn't say it was boring. Basically, I think it was mm. that they thought it was hard and they were afraid they were going to lose. Mm. They didn't. Well, that's good. That's just, I mean, you got to embrace that as a player. I mean, yeah. come on. Like, if there's no jeopardy, then why are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, one of them had just jumped into lava and was upset that a combat happened after they had jumped into the lava. Which is like, I mean, you chose to jump on the lava. You, you chose knew it was... to do that. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to go surfing on lava. What? I had them roll decks and it didn't work. It you had them roll decks? I wouldn't even give them that. I would have been like, you jumped into lava, though. I think they had a stone slab or something they jumped onto the lava in. If they whacked out an obsidian surfboard, then I would be like, let's have a conversation. But before that, honestly, (laughs) I'd be like, 
no. <laughs> Stone in lava is not going <laughs> to skate across the top. <laughs> like, how do you think this works? Like, somebody watched a bit too much of, like, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, yeah. like, when they were younger, and they're yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The lava's cold. Oh, wait, that's Spy Kids. Yeah. I, this is my nerd nonsense coming through. Hang yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None of these things you're saying are nerdy in America. Spy Kids was a very <laughs> popular movie series. Shark Boy and Lava Girl was a very popular movie. <laughs> Twilight was everywhere in the US. Yeah, I'd say that's quite niche in the UK. So I don't necessarily measure like nerdiness. I think we had this conversation recently. I don't measure nerdiness in terms of how big it is. Like a bunch of people can be into it, but just there's something that's like inherently nerdy about those kind of things, you know, just like, I don't know, there's like a je ne sais quoi. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sudden touch that they have. What makes an ideal player in your minds? Just a couple quick things that you feel like makes a player really easy to interact with and makes them the DM's friend. I love it when a player is super excited about the character they're playing, which may seem like an obvious one. You'd be surprised, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've played with people and I've DM for people who are just kind of like, yeah, I'm a fire. Yeah, I'll swing my sword. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, cool but like yeah but like what about your fighter like why are they a fighter like what what drove them into this profession it's like "Mm, i don't know they were in the army like what army just the army (laughs) we should discuss this please we can make this really cool give me more please which like is why i also like i would give anything for all my players to give me their backstory a lot of the time they just don't and i'm like please i remember this one time a player wouldn't give me their backstory so i made it so that every session i was like oh can you roll me like a con save Oh, you failed. Oh, you have uncontrollable gas. It's wild. Like, it's giving you disadvantage on, like, persuasion checks and stuff. Give me your backstory. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out part of your backstory is now you have IBS. If you'd have handed me a backstory, maybe this wouldn't be a thing. Maybe you'd have given yourself IBS. I don't know. That would have been your choice because it's your backstory. But now. (laughs) Absolutely. Now it's my choice. (laughs) Basically, yeah, being super excited about your character and like having a backstory for them like means a lot to me. It just shows that like you care about what's going on. And I really appreciate that as like a GM. On the other side of that, if somebody is like too excited about the character oh no rather if somebody isn't excited about everyone else's characters as well that's where we have a problem because like uh, i'm in a campaign where i'm i play a bard multi-class with a rogue and she's super fun to play and basically i just get to be naughty every week and it's great but i know that if i go too far i will just overtake the conversation and i do not want to do that so i'm like oh well what's this character going to do they they've got a really cool backstory element going on like maybe i can like feed into their role play and like and encourage something else from them and see where it goes and like yeah it's just kind of yeah just be excited about your character everyone else's character and the story yeah. it shows that you're yeah. putting forth effort just like the dm has to put mm. forth effort right you know you have a stake yeah. in it for my players, I think, yeah, like the energy, like I said, coming to the table, just willing to invest in the story and contribute to the story is a really big deal for me. Just because it's an equal share around the table. I don't think we should be all in the DM. Maybe it's a little bit more weighted to the DM because mm. they have a bit more control. But like generally, I think the storytelling and narrative and stuff can be dictated by the players just as much if they sort of choose to engage. And I think also knowing both when to take the spotlight and when to like, you know, like shine it on someone else. Mm it's such a like heartwarming moment when you see you know if you're the dm and you see your party kind of like giving the spotlight to someone who's maybe a bit more shy 
I've got some various one shots uh, for people and I got to do one for some of our patrons and it was just like, you know, there was varying levels of kind of like confidence, whatever, and like the end of the session culminated with this big kind of like narrative arc for one of the one of the players at the table who was like a little bit more shy and like just watching them kind of like come out of their shell and everyone at the table giving them space to do that. There was like a hundred jokes or a hundred like quips or, you know, oh, why don't you do this? Or like, there's a hundred different things people could have said in that moment. And everyone kind of chose like, nope, this isn't my moment. This is their moment. And like that, I think is probably one of the most important things because, you know, I mean, you you need to make sure that table is like supporting and like holding everyone. Like, I always think um, Jeremy, for instance, is a really good example of this. Like Jeremy is like the best rules lawyer in combat. Like (laughs) if you can do something, Jeremy knows it and will help you, (laughs) you know, and like a really like, hey, by the way, just so you know, you can do this really cool thing. But then, like, out of combat, like, very just, like, lets everyone kind of do whatever they want to do, or do you know what I mean? Like, so I think even just, like, knowing when is the right time to, like, chip in with a thing about the rules or whatever, I think it's, like, a learning curve as well, honestly. Like, I think, you know, it's not something that's necessarily, like, super straightforward and easy. You know, it's very, very easy to kind of get carried away and get excited and whatever. So, like, I'd never blame anyone for doing it. But just having that little bit of like self-awareness and being like, oh, I've spoken a lot today. Mm. Or like, oh, I think I spoke over that person again. Like that sort of stuff, I think you can absolutely check yourself. And it makes a big difference, definitely. Yeah, self-awareness in practice. I know I definitely have been guilty of that in the past of being like, well, I'm clearly the main character. Mm. And so, you know, and then it's just, it's not the, <laughs> the way. Character syndrome, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's way yeah. more fun when everybody's involved <laughs> and when everyone gets their day in the sun, so. I've fallen into that trap sometimes where uh, if nobody is doing anything and there's just like long lulls and like, so what do you want to do? I will typically try and just step up and be like, all right, especially in like a public game. If nobody's doing anything and and like there's clearly a plot Mm. or something that no one is moving towards that I will usually try to step up and push and like come up with a plan and like motivate. And what ends up happening is that I end up sort of becoming the leader of the team which is not usually my intention. I know what you mean, where it's like, suddenly I'm doing almost all the talking and it's mm-hmm. like, everything we're doing is because I suggested it. And I'm like, I didn't want yeah. this. This happens a lot in public games, right? Like I've had this quite a few times now when I've like guested on like a show that's like a live stream or something. And I think maybe it's like, do you think it's to do with the one shot nature of it? I don't know where people like find it easy to like slot into a role, mm-hmm. but I feel like in most like public games, I've seen like someone is like, I'll be the leader of this group. And then everyone else kind of goes, yes, we'll fall in line. And it does, it does. seem to happen a lot. Yeah. Like, at least I found. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I've noticed in some one shots, it's uh, public ones. Everybody's trying to like outdo mm. each other with just performing. Mm. So they're not even necessarily focusing on the plot. They're just like, how can mm. I shine? And nothing's <laughs> getting done, but just everybody is doing like stuff. I'm usually the person who's like, I don't care. About what you're doing. Let's go do the story. Especially with a one shot, right? It's like, there's X, Y, and Z that we need to get done in this three hours. So like, Mm -hmm. if you just screw around, then you're never going to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had them last way, way longer than they normally should for that exact reason. One shot turns into a four shot. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, I literally had a DM message me after a one shot, a public one shot the other day, being like, "Thank you so much <laughs> oh, like, yeah. for driving the story on." Yeah. Because I was just like, I just know what it's yes. like to sit in that DM seat, and like, we have a three-hour window on this live stream, mm-hmm. and everyone is like 
messing around trying to like i don't know literally like pin a tail on a donkey or something yeah. stupid like this and i'm just like hey guys remember that really pressing thing that's happening let go i get, <laughs> Come on. I get the same feeling that i did in like school where like the teacher will be like anyone anyone want to answer this question i'd be like okay yeah, it's me hi uh <laughs> <laughs> hello it's me again hi. Yeah. you might remember me from five minutes yeah. ago <laughs> i can help you out it's cool yeah, yeah I uh, but in answer to the question yeah. i think that it's important to acknowledge that there are a lot of things that certain tables will want in players that will not work for other tables i can see like some tables they really do just want to focus on like just grabbing loot and don't really care about like characterization and so forth. So I think for me, the number one that is most important thing is trying to promote fun, the, like the fun of everyone in the group, including yourself. I think that's what you want in a player. No matter what situation you're in, that attitude is going to be the best, mm. I think. So if it's like, we all love to do tons of role play here, then it's like, great. The best way for me to join in with this is to role play a lot with the other PCs if we like comedy in this game, I'll try to either facilitate comedy by being funny myself or setting other people or playing off of other people. Like if we want to follow the story, for example, if the DM actually clearly has a plot, then we will try and advance the DM's plot in some way, some form or another. Or if this is just like a heavily tactical game, we're very light on role play. I don't know if you guys have heard of the, I think it's like a 40 year game at this point, the ongoing 40 year D&D game. There's a couple out there. Yeah. There's one that's been Whoa. going for 43 and one for 41 years that I've heard of, at least. Okay. Wow. This Jeez. one is called The Game. That's what they call it. It's the same D&D campaign. There are people from around the world that will literally fly in to play in this game. And he has created all of these like alternative rules because he's been playing since like first edition. So he has like ported the characters over from edition to edition and like added all these additional interesting rules. Yeah. But I watched a video of one of their combats once and he has like this very specific combat system where people are like all standing up, saying what their character does and then you sit down so they can get through the combats as quickly as possible. It's very formal. Yeah, and all the players are clearly having a blast. Otherwise, they wouldn't mm. be flying in to play in this story. They clearly love mm. the world, clearly love him as a DM. But there, you don't have, for example, Dimension 20 or NADPOD, where the players are having like tons of banter <laughs> yes. with the bad guy. Mm. And half the time, especially in NADPOD, sometimes it almost feels like the battle itself becomes secondary to just them like <laughs> making fun of the bad oh, guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very different games. And yeah. if you try and brought that same energy from that pot into yeah. that game, then it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? But if you try to bring the energy of the game into Nadpod, it's like, what are you doing? We're trying to have fun here. It's like, yeah. this is how I have fun. I tell you exactly what I'm doing with the most tactically sound move. And then I sit down. So I think it's about knowing how, like how the people that you're playing with are having fun yeah. and uh, yeah. doing your best to help facilitate that. However you personally can. That doesn't mean yeah. that you're always going to be a good fit. Like, if you don't like the way that the people in the game, for example, are playing, mm. then maybe that game just isn't for you. That's fine. Nobody's being hurt by what they're doing over there. But yeah, that's what I would say. It's a fairly basic component, but I think, like, if that's your North Star, a lot of other things are going to fall into place. Yeah, that's such simple and elegant advice. Whatever everyone's fun is, enhance the fun. Yeah. 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 Can I throw just yeah. one piggyback onto that, which is like, don't beat yourself up and or get defensive if you don't read a room correctly. Oh, God. 
it's very hard to do a lot of the time, especially if you're like a new player and you're just really excited to play. If you misread the temperature of that room and you get it wrong, don't either be like, oh God, I'm the worst player ever and beat yourself up or do the opposite of like, oh, I'm just going to double down and be like, do you know what I mean? Like, no, this is how I want to play D&D. It's really just like good and important to say that, you know, it's a hard thing to get right. It takes time for a new group of people to yeah. figure it all out and to, you know, it takes a very experienced group of like players and a DM to like just dive in one session in and chemistry. go. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's why session zeros and stuff are a thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I did a two shot for NADPOD. We had a session zero. Like I ran a little bit for them before we started, even though I knew them very well. I knew what the style of the show was very well. It mm. was like, it's really in key that you know what the kind of, yeah. gel is yeah. just don't beat yourself up and please please don't get weird and defensive <laughs> yeah. about it because it's just like the weirdest thing to get like no i'm playing the game correctly just no chill yeah just yeah, chill and enjoy uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> when you were talking about um the players playing in the other game jeremy i just had a vision of emily axford like standing up and quickly saying what she's gonna do and is like that's so wrong that is so wrong <laughs> like there's no way what a waste yeah, of I emily know, axford <laughs> like what <laughs> you're not gonna let axford axford what are you doing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you gotta oh, let yeah. the axford axford uh, it's it's like a verb now that's amazing i'm sure she's very proud <laughs> And now, a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Fey Earth is an indie TTRPG set in an alternate 19th century Earth where every creature from folklore and fairy tale is real, have always been real, and lived alongside humanity. It is a world filled with familiar sounding creatures but with unfamiliar powers as it tries to faithfully depict the magic of our past as it was described in folklore. If you'd like to learn more about the Kickstarter, search for Fey Earth or check out the episode notes for the link. And Friend and Foe Adventure Co. Comedic mayhem and adventure await. Join four vault hunters, Tarkin, a down-on-his-luck mechromancer, Mercurius, a robot-loving mech pilot, Phaleon, a siren with her hummingbird companion, and Goodboy, an unusual psycho, as they do jobs for friend and foe adventure co. Playing with a system inspired by Borderlands video games leads to the same over-the-top humor you'd expect from the series. Listen to Friend and Foe Adventure Co. wherever you find your podcasts and interact with them on social media at FFAdventureCo. And lastly, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Are you a podcaster or video content creator who loves making awesome content but wishes you spent less time editing and more time doing the things you love? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online to see their awesome rates and editing offerings. Buy a few hours a la carte or purchase bulk hours for larger projects. Let them tackle the boring stuff so you can get back to making more awesome content. Check out the links in the episode notes for both podcasters and video creators. And now let's get back to the action with Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos, emphasis on chaos, the three black halflings and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables to create a fun scenario to roleplay. Let's do the minigame now. So I don't care which of you wants to be the DM, because I know each of you have done it a little bit. I vote that we roll for it. 
Just roll a d20. Oh, oh yeah. See God. Okay. D20, d20 rolls. rolls. Okay. I got a 19. <laughs> I got a 17. <laughs> oh, oh, did not want to okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we would have said highest, and you were like, highest? I feel like uh, yeah. we're trying to oh, avoid uh, DMing, sure right? <laughs> That's a cool fool. Yeah. Hey! Okay. Hey! <laughs> there we go. It is you, Jasper. So D100's at the ready. Yep. Uh, first, we're going to roll a voice. Is that one? Do you get a one? One is speaks slowly and tends to mumble tends to ramble so so much for getting over quickly uh okay next personality traits what six full of mental distress or uneasiness because of fear or danger or misfortune greatly worried solicitous love this the next thing is your job or profession 14 trapper whatever you're trapping you get to decide Okay, what am I trapping? I'm going to make a decision. I'll leave it as a, a carrot for you to find Ooh. out if you want to. Yeah, make up something. Abyssal chickens, Maybe. you know, who knows? Liv and Jeremy, between the two of you, do you prefer like a fetch quest or like a city quest? Which sounds more interesting? Like fetch like somewhere out there in the wide world or a city quest is more like something that's happening in town? What sounds more interesting? I mean, I'm leaning towards city, but what about you? I'm happy to Jeremy. city it yeah. up. Okay, let's city. Uh, last one, Jeremy, or Jasper, mm -hmm. oh, I did it again. Jasper, please. Hey, there we go. 75. Go. 75. This is interesting because this could tie into your trap okay. a bit. In the big garden of a powerful family, there are several woodland critters acting strange. Upon further inspection, they appear almost human in mannerisms. And so you have to figure out why. I think I will play my gnome wizard that I've done the last few times just because I like the squeaky voice. You've seen flyers all around town for Jasmine is looking for help for a particular issue that he has. And you see this kind of big, burly, kind of bald black guy, probably about 6'3", big, long, kind of straggly beard, kind of alive in the eyes. You can see him sort of darting around a little bit and... You look down, he's kind of like chopping these like kind of weird looking kind of octopus things. And every time he kind of chops, it's making this like sound, like this little pop sound. This guy sort of stands there before you. He absolutely acknowledges you, like looks at you three, like scans you up and down, checks that you're not a threat, and then just carries on working until one of you speaks to him. My character will aggressively stride forward and then stop and turn to look at the, uh, the pair of you. Uh, you. You see my character is fully bald, probably about five foot nine inches tall, but like a good like four foot shoulder width. Average height, but very broad man. And he turns, has a face like a closed fist and turns to the pair of you and says, Norb would like to inquire. Which, should I speak for the group of us? Or would would someone else prefer to take Norb's place? Uh, I say go for it, Norb. Hang Thank on a you, second! Gnome. My little halfling druid with um, dreads as long as <laughs> down to her butt. So long. He's going to climb up onto Norb's shoulders. I, what are you thinking of saying there, Norb? Huh? What's the plan? Don't ignore them! I say, pointing to the person who was giving us the quest. What are you just going to ask? Yes, I was going to walk up to this random traveler that we have happened upon, and I was going to inquire if they had anything for us to do. Go 
about you? What about you, little friend? My, my friend there, my friend No? What's what's going on in your head? Uh, well, the the flyers we've seen about town did say to come to this location to obtain information. So I say, absolutely. Go for but it. what if it's a trap? You know what? No, ignore me. Bye. And then she climbs back down. Norb looks at you and says, "The fact that it could be a trap makes Norb think that Norb should threaten this person first. Do you think Do that's it, how Norb. we should go in? Do it." Norb! Norb turns and punches the person uh, in the face uh, oh. and yells, Norb! As he does it. Uh, and Norb, as he punches, you see his hand just straight up turn into a tentacle. So it's like a punch, but then partly a slap, and like he gets stuck to your face. I rolled on my race chart. Norb is a simic hybrid. Oh, uh, no. Uh, the pop squids are back! Oh. Do you mean to threaten us, <laughs> random farmer? Why would I want to threaten you? Is this a trap? I just looking after me, pop squids, and they come up and punch me in the face. Oh. Well, look, it seems as if you have taken your revenge out on the squids. Look at them, disassembled via your knife. Right here, the evidence is clear. While this is happening, Norb is going to just turn to Liv's character and say, I can't understand what this man says. Should Norb dispatch of him? My name's Destiny. What is your name, gnome friend? Just call me Terran. I, I knew that, Terran. Terran. Norb thinks it's strange that we did not introduce each ourselves to each other prior to this moment, considering we have been traveling together for weeks. It's very strange. I feel like I know as much about you three as you all do, but if you can punch as hard as that, then you might be perfect for a little task that I have, if you'd be so interested. Sorry. I pull up the flyer and say, uh, yes, uh, is, is this the task uh, to which you're referring? Uh, please forgive my, my muscly friend uh, back there, and I hand you the flyer. That's okay, I where I come from, it's a sign of respect to punch someone. He immediately punches Norb in the face <laughs> as hard as he can. He's you, pretty strong for a while, the old guy. You dare ignore destiny? Punch me in the face! Everyone punch me in the face! I say, form an orderly line behind Norb so the face punches <laughs> can be distributed. She stands behind. <laughs> you see Jasmine, as he's telling you this information, is going through and sort of punching Ow. you one at a time in oh. the face. Ah. Pretty Thank hard. You. Gonna roll one attack. Okay, he rolled a 17 nat, so I think he probably is hitting most of you on these attacks. Right, so the thing <laughs> is that um, there's these ah. woodland creatures... Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. And they're ah. blocking up my former employer's house. And uh, he, uh, you know, is um, in oh. need of some adventurers who can stand right up to a good right on the button. And ah. if you would be willing to do it, I would probably look at rewarding you for your time. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well. Uh, she spits out a tooth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's probably, probably something that we could do. I may need to lie down first. 
<laughs> Jasmine pulls out a health potion and goes, You might need this before you go, as I've kicked the snot out of you already. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, I take it. There's only one, though, so, you know, divided as you see. I will, I will take whoever. it for me. That's for me now. <laughs> thank you so much. Nor bends at the waist to pick up the tooth, <laughs> makes very intense eye contact with everyone in the group and just announces, Norb collects teeth! <laughs> and just puts it away. <laughs> and that's canon, folks. Jasmine rips out one of his own teeth and here you go. I take it, <laughs> Norb thanks you, punches you in the face. <laughs> oh, oh, my former employer lives just up the hill on the right. It's the big house with the tree and then there's a bunch of these little miscreants underneath it. And funny, I have a theory about how they got there. Well, so we don't need to hear it. I'm sure I we'll figure it out. Thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, oh, okay. Well, yeah. uh, I guess we'll just go in uh, without yeah, no, any information. I don't, like what I, always I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not a cheat, all right? I like to go in there, make my own way. It's the, it's the destiny way. As you turn, Terran, and you all start to make your way, I think you just hear very ominously behind you, yeah, they've actually killed the last three adventuring parties that I sent that way. Probably should have told them that. Uh, well, that reminds me, actually. And then you just yeah. this trails off as you carry on going. Yeah, as one last thing, can Norb scoop both of his companions under his arms in their customary <laughs> traveling formation and then just, just start take off running? Yeah. <laughs> Away, Norb! <laughs> off to adventure! I was thinking it'd be like, be like Kronk yes. and Yzma. Yes. Oh, oh my god. god. Yes. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> the best Disney film. Pull the lever. <laughs> oh. How do we do? <laughs> I think this is the 28th version. Some of it has been like game design instead of role play, but this is the first time that anyone just decided to attack <laughs> the quest giver, but it was bound to happen. Genuinely, this is a thing. Like learning good conflict management strategies as NPCs (laughs) is really vital because you will get a hyperactive PC one day who absolutely does want to do that. (laughs) And you probably need to find a way of keeping the game on track so you don't annoy everyone in the game (laughs) by just being like, well, you can't do this. It's on you, it's his culture. Yeah, exactly. So exactly you just find a way to make it make sense. That was the character (laughs) I will never play in a game because she's too much. So like, yeah, that's an example of the character not to play. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was great. Perfect time to do it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved yeah, it. Yeah, it came in hot. <laughs> but is incredible. over the course of a campaign, they're obviously going to mellow and change. And yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> yes, I love the idea that Destiny refuses to stop being this way. You will never pipe oh, down. So Only pipes up. I'm sure Norb has knocked over so many things in his time. Just, yes. like, turning too fast with those broad shoulders. Oh, absolutely. There's a hard limit to how fast Norb can turn just because of wind resistance. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say too yeah, many he muscles, tries to turn yeah. his... He's just pushing oh, against the air. <laughs> I'm imagining Norb is like uh when like I think it was like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever was in Fairly Odd Parents. There's like a joke where he like can't touch his own head because oh, yeah, yeah. his traps are too big. I don't think that was actually Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sorry, it was like a a parody of what was that dude's name? It was clearly like he would, they were doing the voice. Jurgen Jurgen von Somethingheimer. Jürgen von Strangle? Yeah, Jürgen von yeah. Strangle? He had, like, camo pants mm-hmm. on. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I think he was one of the crimson chin bad guys. Oh, yeah. That was great fun, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. So much fun. Did I hit the briefs, by the way? Yeah. I think you hit them. 
Mm-hmm. Spot on. And I mean, they're more guidelines, so people exactly. have taken them and, and people have passed on them. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. So, three black halflings. Tell us about the origin story. Tell us about how it's been going. You know, how did the show start? And, and really, you know, what niche did you see that you really were hoping to fill? Basically, myself and Jeremy, we basically started DMing. We started co-DMing a game together. And as a part of that, we would do like these like world building cool, like where we call each other and do some like world building and stuff. And we just quite often would end up on the phone for like hours, you know, way past the point of actually planning this world. We would just be talking about like, you know, rules and different classes. And we were both relatively new to it and just like fully immersing ourselves like as much as we possibly could. It's funny because, like, I always thought of Jeremy as my, like, D&D dad. Like, he was, like, the one that introduced me to it. To have all these, like, fun conversations, learn this whole stuff together was, was a lot of fun. And it was just during lockdown because, you know, what else was everyone doing during lockdown other than starting podcasts? I was like, I have time and I like these conversations and I feel like they're kind of funny. Like, we usually go on weird tangents and talk about stupid stuff. And so we did that. And then the funnest part of the origin story I always tell is that there is somewhere out there in the ether this like mysterious lost episode of Three Black Halflings, which is where I was recording this episode on my phone, just sat kind of in front of me, just with the mic rolling. And I kept on forgetting. And then like a notification would pop up on my phone because I didn't put it in flight mode for some reason. And I'd like put it under the duvet or I'd like put it across the other side of the room. And then I'd remember I'm recording on it. And so truly the most horrifying recording imaginable. Jeremy had a fan behind (laughs) him. No, no, it was on the floor in front of me. (laughs) Oh, that was it. All you could hear on the recording was the fan. I had my laptop sitting on my lap, but like I was just sitting in a chair, my laptop sitting on my lap, a little floor fan blowing at my legs. And my microphone was just like a regular snowball mic sitting on like on the mm. laptop, I think. On the laptop. Yeah. And yeah. so it was a shambles. And I was like, Jeremy, I'm going to buy a mic because I've been wanting to do this, you know, whatever. So I'm going to buy a mic. I'm just going to do it. And then we'll try it again. And then the day before we did it, Someone I went to drama school with, uh, Unati, just happened to post that they were in their garden, like planning a D&D session. And I was like, oh, Unati's into D&D stuff as well. I'll see if Unati's down. And Unati, like the next day, was like, sure, I've got nothing to do. Jumped on. We kind of got rolling. We listened to a couple episodes. We're like, oh, we kind of thought there's something here. This is, this is fun. This is cool. And then we started like reaching out to people on like Twitter as we just as we posted this stuff and people just really started to respond to it, which was kind of wild. I mean, I don't know if you want to like jump in here, Jeremy, and you can talk a bit about the some of the craziness that happened. Sure, that. Yeah. I think for me, possibly also for Unati, because I think initially another thing was like we were thinking of doing it as like a YouTube show. We weren't really sure. We were like, we could start as a podcast, maybe switch to YouTube at some point. But it was like the initial conversation, in contrast to the conversations that Jasper and I had had together, was I think a lot more like nerve driven. And we were just like both nervous, like, yeah, we haven't done recording like this before. Yeah. Whereas when we added Unati, there was like a real chemistry that emerged. And I think having done it once before, mm-hmm. we were like, okay, we're a little bit more calm this time. And it really, like, it felt great. And the subsequent episodes also was like, dang this was pretty good and i think with everybody's Mm. podcast they're like you know if your friend's like oh i have a podcast there's always like yeah this podcast is probably pretty mediocre but like when we had like everything edited together and we were listening to it's like this is pretty good 
this is, this is a good show. And then it started to get, you know, more and more listeners. And then like the first big thing that happened, I think the first big thing was that Rick Perry, who does the sets for Dimension 20, had somehow mm-hmm. heard us and tweeted about us. And we were like, <gasps> and from there, we started to get other guests that we had wanted to get that we were like, we, I don't know. Like we got Alan Kudicho from the Wagadu Chronicles. We got James Mendez Hodes. Uh, I can't remember who else, but through Rick Perry, we got in touch with Lou Wilson from Dimension 20. So we had Lou on the show that possibly combined with one or two other people having heard about us kind of led us to Brennan, like Brennan having heard of us and listened to the show and other Dimension 20 affiliates. We started to have very high profile guests, despite being at the time still a very small podcast. It from there continued to grow until we hooked up with HeadGum. And that really gave us a huge boost because it gave us so much more reach and backing and resources as well. And so the whole show took several levels up, especially the actual play. Shout out to our editing, uh, Daniel and his team who do an, an incredible mm, job with the audio editing on all of our actual yeah. play stuff, but also just making the talk show episodes sound great. And everything just kind of spiraled from there, but spiraled up. I think we were on Dragon Talk within like three or four months of having started yeah, the show. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah, that, that was, was bonkers. Wild. And then like the following year, I DM'd a couple of things for Wizards of the Coast. Jasper was on NADPOD. Like it just kept getting bigger and bigger. Eventually, Unati, unrelated to Three Black Halflings, got really big in the sense that uh, they were on the show wednesday coming to netflix later this year and so due to just general busyness and stuff like that they weren't able to continue and so that was what brought us to live live do you want to jump in with the third part of the story yeah do it bring it home (laughs) i got a message from three black halflings on um instagram was instagram maybe i don't know twitter or twitter one of them I was literally telling you both this the other day that I was like, oh my God, don't go into my partner. Like, oh my God, Three Black Halflings just messaged me. Because <laughs> I'd heard of Three Black Halflings via NADPOD and I'd like literally like listened to Jasper DM on NADPOD and I was like, oh yeah, this guy's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, this is cool stuff. And yeah, no, so I was like, oh, you know, it was on my radar. Um, yeah. And then you both asked me to come and play a little little game little like mini one shot kind of thing of um of D&D mm. and that was super fun yeah i had such a blast when we did that little one shot and then we also just chatted and we just had an interview and i was like oh wow what a wonderful experience ah, and then i went away and then a little while later you were like hey we have an opening do you maybe want to like <laughs> come and do this do you want to do, do, do this i was genuinely mm-hmm. like what <laughs> why me what do you mean oh my god no, I was genuinely flawed and honored to have been asked, especially like filling, well, not filling Unati's shoes, but like I tend to have like a habit of like stepping into a role that previously somebody like really awesome had before me. Like in Dicebreaker, it was Johnny Chiodini and now it's Unati. And I'm like, oh God. But yeah. And so I've been here for a little while and hanging out. Everyone's been lovely. I've been killing mm-hmm. it. Thank you so much. I've been having an utter blast. This has been such an amazing experience and I love it and I can't wait to see where we go. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exciting stuff on the horizon, I'm sure. One thing that is a constant topic of conversation on the show is representation 
ways to play TTRPGs in a more inclusive manner, ways to treat race and culture sensitively. And especially, I mean, frankly, as a hobby that's dominated by white males or has been, I guess, historically, you know, I feel like that's definitely changing. It's something that I don't think a lot of people have put a lot of thought into until more recently. And uh, I don't know if your podcast is necessarily like a reason it's in the conversation more often now, or if it's a product of those conversations. That could be something that's debated, but it is an important conversation to have. It's something that I've tried to be very conscious of as well as I've been running games. Talk to us a little bit about why representation you feel like is so important in TTRPGs and what some of the big benefits are of having games that are more inclusive, that are better at representing diversity and that kind of thing for the community at large. I realized that I didn't actually answer a little bit of your last question, which actually probably leads into this quite nicely, which is that part of the reason that I kind of came up with the idea of doing a talk show specifically, and like the idea of talking about race in D&D was that I typed in kind of like, I was basically looking for like black people in the TTRPG mm -hmm. space. And like the top result was a Terry Crews one shot. And then like the rest of the things that came up were like just a bunch of white mm -hmm. people. And I remember being like, oh, that doesn't seem mm -hmm. right. <laughs> there was absolutely some incredible people in the space, but even they've kind of really blown up in the last few years. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like people like Abria Certainly. and Christina. I mean, you know, like B-Dave and like Tanya have been around for like a while, but I think even they've just, they've really kind of gone up like another level in the last like couple mm -hmm. of years. Yeah. And I definitely think that in terms of like identifying that niche, that's definitely what it felt like when we started. And I'm very glad that we're not like so, so niche now. Do you know what I mean? That there is more like podcasts and people talking about it. And that's absolutely amazing. And then just to go on to the, why is it important? It's mm -hmm. all about like accessibility, like being able to like play this game. The reason I never played Dungeons and Dragons in the first place was because, and if you talk to uh, like a lot of my black friends, or just like, oh, that's some white people mm -hmm, stuff. Yeah. We don't mess around with yeah. this. You know what I mean? And, you know, and like a lot of the stuff for the longest time has been just Tolkien. It's been, you know, which if you go back and watch it, is the whitest film you'll probably ever see, other than the orcs, who are definitely very black. The Easterlings. Oh, yeah, and the Easterlings. I mean... Right. And they're just a total caricature, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that a lot of it is about, you know, if, if that's all you see, and, like, I absolutely had this as a kid, and I know for a fact that other people have had this, where it's like, oh, you're brown or whatever, you'll be one of the orcs. If that's all you show kids, that's all they're going to get. Like, it's not their fault. Mm. Yeah. That's just all they're being given. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're not being given any other steer or narrative in the space. And so... It's so incredibly important because it's a huge part of storytelling. And I genuinely do think that storytelling is like the bedrock of all society. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying necessarily saying that what we do is like that important, but I think storytelling as a whole is that important, which yeah. is why I think it's incredibly important that we see more and more people of color, more and more women, you know, more and more people who don't identify as, you know, like a cis male or whatever, you know, so that the space can be more accessible for more people. And then the final point that I'll make is just that it enriches everything. Like, Wagadu coming in and making, like, a fifth edition supplement is incredible. Like, oh, like, the artwork, the kinds of abilities, the, the richness of worlds, the kinds of monsters. Like, everything becomes more, like, just more. Like, it gets bigger and more, you know, bombastic and more fun to play when you've just got more tools to play with. 
Like, yeah. it's not just there's a castle and there's a dragon and his name's Arthur, his name's Merlin, and we've probably been here before. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. it's so great. And honestly, I'm just so sick of seeing Merlin pop up and stuff. Like, if there is ever an old white wizard in anything, mm -hmm. I swear his name is... He even turned up in Transformers. I'll never understand it. Merlin was even in Transformers. I mean, come on. <laughs> enough is enough. Oh. Find a different wizard. <laughs> yeah. I remember in your earlier episodes, you mentioning, Jasper, that like on the playground as a kid, people tell you you have to be... Either Lando or, you know, you can oh, that be Chewie yeah. because you can't be Luke or you can't be who. Oh, no, that was you, sorry, Jeremy. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> okay, that was Jeremy. <laughs> I swear I know your names. I swear I know you sound different. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. So, Jeremy, I remember you telling that story. And it just broke my heart. And as a white man, I've never dealt with that. And just, like, hearing what it's like on the other side and really understanding why it's so much more important than people would realize. I just has really motivated me. You were talking Jesper about like, there's a castle, there's a dragon, like who wants to play in a game? That's just all Europe. The whole globe is just yeah, all Europe. Right. That's so boring. Yeah. Like, who wants to do that? And so, like you said, the more stuff you can add in the better, it just makes your world more rich, more interesting, more stuff to explore and, to discover i think it makes it yeah. just it makes it more fun to discover like things you actually get to discover things do you know what i mean how nice would it be to go away through the castle and find something that's not just a sword stuck in a stone do you know what i mean like a magical conch or something do you know what i mean like something that's just like not yeah. like a freaking sword stuck in a stone it's like, oh, oh yeah 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 again i guess i kind of knew that was coming yeah, yeah cool <laughs> I think that it's really borne out in how you see, you can see the joy that people in minority groups experience when they see something that they relate to more directly yeah. in fiction. I think I've told this story before. I don't know if I told it on Three Black Halflings, but I've told it somewhere that my dad introduced me to the Star Wars series when I was like six. I think six or seven. Mm. And I was huge, you know, loved it. I got him to watch like the prequels with me when those came out. And interestingly, after having seen all six of the movies that had been made at that point, when I asked him what his favorite lightsaber battle was, he said his favorite one was Mace Windu versus Palpatine. Of all of the yeah. ones, my dad was born in 1959. He grew up with Star Wars. Like Star Wars came out before he was even 20. And yet, his favorite fight in the entire franchise was Mace Windu versus Palpatine. And it wasn't because he was such a huge fan of the Mace Windu character or loved that we finally got to see Palpatine with a lightsaber. It was because he finally got to see a black man wielding a lightsaber, which is something that like, I don't think had ever really occurred to him to think about. And I remember I got a similar charge when John Boyega lit up the lightsaber in The Force Awakens. They're suddenly like, oh, this is crazy. And then you saw what happened yeah. with Black Panther. There has been a huge boom also of like Asian American and Asian Canadian, I guess, media being made as well. Uh, a lot more LGBT representation. You can see like how each of those communities, when it's like a representation done well, which typically means that it involves people from the actual community making it. You yeah. see like there's so much joy yeah. that emerges. I think that in and of itself shows you how starved people can feel, how invisible mm. people can feel. I think for me, there was a long time when I couldn't picture myself in a lot of those worlds because there wasn't any, anybody in those worlds who looked like me. It didn't seem like those worlds yeah. allowed for me 
So like, for example, Lord of the Rings, I really enjoyed the Lord of the Rings books when I was little and I loved the movies as well. And I don't think I ever was like imagining myself as like a black hobbit or like a black Dunedain or whatever. It didn't seem like that was a possibility. It's use what they yeah. get given. Putting two and two together like that is a very like adult thing to do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To like try to crowbar yourself in somehow. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just not something mm. the kids naturally yeah. do. Yeah, so that sort of thing is incredibly yeah. validating and it invites new, like representation that is, is incredibly validating for people and invites more people into a specific community or genre or medium. And the more people you have in there, the richer it's going to get. Absolutely. Yeah, echoing what you've both said, uh, Jeremy and Jasper, just like, um, I think, Jasper, you mentioned, like, showing people that, you know, people of color aren't just orcs, but also showing people of color that they aren't just orcs. Just like letting people know that they have a space in this community and that you're welcomed and that also you can obtain joy from doing this thing that you love. Like, I know for me in particular, like, because I basically check off every, well, not every, but like a long list of minorities, which is just like, I'm a woman of color. I'm a woman. I'm queer. And like, there are so many like spaces that I've been like, oh, is this for me? It means a lot to people. It cannot be understated, like how much it mm. means to see yourself in something and know that there's a safe space for you. And like, it doesn't mean that like anyone else has to be barred from that space it's a space for everyone what i feel like three black hotlings does very well is that like everyone is welcome to learn and enjoy and yeah just obtain joy from a wonderful wonderful little show yeah and if you feel threatened by representation oh, yeah. you know if you feel like there being more representation in your chosen medium or whatever yeah if you feel threatened by that then that's <laughs> on you like you've got to do some inward searching to figure out why you feel that way so wild when people do that the wildest thing for me is that, like, fundamentally, most of the things you like will not change. Like, they already exist. You already have Lord of the Rings, and it's still white. Yeah. We're not going to go back and CGI <laughs> a bunch of black people into Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. That's not what's happening. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you've still got the things that you love. Why would you have a problem with other people having things that they love? It doesn't matter whether you like yeah. it or not. It's not yeah. for you. Yeah. I think that's what people get upset at. Although, if someone is wanting to recast it, like, I feel like you guys have a few ideas. Oh, we got some great <laughs> ideas. Let me tell you about the main Hobbit. Ah! No. <laughs> Let me tell you who's going to be playing them. I don't know if that's what we're referring to specifically, but the upcoming Lord of the Rings series that's being released. I yep. keep mm. getting recommended, like, YouTube videos or seeing people on Facebook posting about like negatively about the fact that oh they're not respecting tolkien's vision by including a racially diverse cast essentially like having black dwarves yeah. people are like how could you even scientifically have a black dwarf? it's like oh my god like oh, how is like smog flying <laughs> we're worried about science what, like yeah. sure okay <laughs> Maybe it was a bit too far when, Whoa. like, in the Hobbit movies, Legolas is, like, running across falling rubble. Okay, we're completely tossing physics mm. out, but come on. Surely a black person falls within the bounds of the fantasy we can create here. But it's yeah. really interesting, because like you're saying, Jasper, I think what people are getting upset about is the fact that it was for them previously, and they think of it as something mm -hmm. that was for them. And when a version of it is right. made that is not specifically for them, it feels like a betrayal. Mm -hmm. I think that's really where the root of the problem is. Yeah, well said. You've talked about how the show came to be, kind of how it's 
meteoric rise, how it's been going so far. So tell us about maybe some future goals that you have for the show, whether they be specific things you have planned or, you know, overarching kind of things you want the show to accomplish. Live shows. Yeah, I mm. genuinely, as a theater like kid growing up, did get back out in front of mm. an audience, feel that energy. I just feel like as well, like Three Black Halflings as a show, it almost wouldn't surprise me if, because I'm pretty sure like My Favorite Murder did this now, where like they just do like tours all the time and most of their shows are just them on tour. Like I just feel like the show is so like perfect mm. for that kind of like live audience you know vibe you know because it's very chaotic it's very fun and i just yeah i really can't wait it's definitely like on the list you know as soon as it's viable yeah we absolutely have to do live shows because oh, yeah, i can't wait that. definitely can't wait for that it would be a blast yeah. if you ever make it to utah i have a few suggestions Ooh. for places you could do it so let me know also i have one guest bed so you'll have to share <laughs> one, but, big you know. <laughs> one big one bed big yeah that's how we roll it <laughs> I would love to go to cons. That was something that had not occurred mm. to me. I've never even been to a con. There weren't a ton of them near where I grew up, nor did I know about the ones that were happening near me. So, like, I didn't really hear about Comic Con until I, I was, like, in high school, maybe. And by then, I was only hearing about, like, New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con. And I think C2E2 was the other one that I'd heard of. And I think it would be really cool to not only get to go to a con, but have like a panel at a con. Yeah, that would just be wild. And I think it would also potentially be a good opportunity to not only to like do live shows and so forth at those sorts of venues, but I think it would also be like a boost in terms of like advertising the show. Like, hey, everybody, come check out yeah. what we're doing. We could just walk yeah. into a room mm -hmm. and suddenly there are the halflings. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be really fun. That's one of my goals, too, is to be in some kind of panel or something at a con. It'd be so fun. Definitely. One thing I'll add on is that I do a lot of video stuff. There is a Three Black Halflings YouTube channel that is out there at the moment. We're currently adding some more videos to that. So, um, yeah, so there's going to be a lot more video content coming your way, basically. So, um, yeah, watch out for that. But what's your big dream, Liv? What's, like, the coolest, like, end goal? I'm interested to know. I don't even think I've asked you. Maybe, I don't know, guessing on some other shows would be really cool. I mean, I haven't done that yet, and I think maybe that's the thing that's coming up down the pipeline. People are going to be coming for Liv, for ah, sure. We've already gotten notifications. Folks are gunning for Liv. They want her to come and join their show. Come and get me. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. People have just stopped asking me entirely. <laughs> Why? <laughs> they talk to me and they're like, can we get Liv? If not, I guess we'll settle for you. <laughs> yeah. If not, we'll circle back to you this time it's next year. It's all three or nothing. <laughs> you didn't have to tell him what I said, Jeremy. Yeah. You, know, you could have just kept that to yourself. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Last thing I love to ask is just advice that you have for people running games. If it could be boiled down to like one or two things that you've learned or that you've heard over the years that you've been running them. Yeah. What advice would you give to people out there? And then I'd love to hear if you have like a word or two of advice for people who have thought about starting a show or, or starting to create content, you know, kind of like you did, what advice or encouragement you give mm. them to. Mm. So, yeah. Advice for a game. I could attack this onto DM advice, but um, just know that if you and your friends are having fun, you're doing it yeah. right. Like, I don't care what anyone else says or does or whatever. You don't have to be Matt Mercer. You don't have to be Brennan. You don't have to be Jeremy <laughs> Cobb. You know, any of these world-class mm -hmm. DMs. 
if you are having fun at your table, if your players are laughing, if you're having a good time, you're connecting with your friends, you are killing it. Like that is the literally the only thing you need to worry about. Screw the rules, screw everything else, just enjoy yourself. That's genuinely the best piece of advice I can give to anyone playing. In terms of starting a show, be ready that if it goes well, <laughs> that it's a huge commitment. <laughs> I imagined it canning after like 10 episodes and just being like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. I didn't prepare myself for it to be this like life altering thing where like I'm flying out to America and I'm, you know, having sushi with Matt Mercer or whatever. I'm like, I never anticipated this and I wasn't ready for it. So be ready and like know what that is for yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, get a real goal mm. in mind because. I think when you do these kind of podcasts, especially when your audience is smaller, it can feel like a bit of a, like a feedback loop. Like you're just doing it for yourself because if you've got a small audience that, you know, they might not interact with you as much as, you know, you see all these bigger shows getting people to interact. I mean, we still have like nowhere near the level of interaction that some of these bigger shows do, but like knowing what right. feels good for you, like just set like really manageable goals. And if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. Just put like your best foot forward. Do you know what I mean? If you think something isn't quite up to scratch, you don't have to put it out. It's up to you. Do you know what I mean? Don't feel compelled. Put like the best stuff out. Oh, sorry. One last thing. If you say you're going to release weekly, release weekly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If that's too much, then yeah. don't say weekly. <laughs> that's like a big one. Like if you set our schedule, then stick to it. Because that's one of the, I think the biggest things that's helped us grow an audience is that we've literally missed three Mondays in yeah. two years. We've literally not released an episode on three Mondays in two years, which is bonkers, frankly. And I'm kind of proud of us, like well done us. <laughs> but also like that's the kind of level of commitment and graft it takes. And we're still out here grafting and working mm. for that. Graft or graft is uh, work yes, yes, in uh, yes. British parlance, yeah, just go. for my other <laughs> listeners. Yes. I think my best piece of advice would be release the pressure. And that is, I think, true for mm. both. I don't think it's healthy to go into a GMing situation being like, oh my God, the stakes are so high. But if my <laughs> friends don't have the greatest time ever, or if I don't have every single thing in this plant, like, it's going to completely fall apart. You didn't like just. That's like, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could lower the anxiety levels, you are going <laughs> to have a lot more fun in the game because you're not going to be like super tense and dreading going into the process. And also, I would say the same thing with a show. I think. If we had tried from the first episode to be like, okay, we have to have a logo. We have to have like high class editing. We have to go out and buy the right microphone. We have to do all of these. We have a theme song. Like, and it just keeps going. We have to already have a podcast network deal. Like in the works. We didn't have a theme song for like a year. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It was at least, yeah, I think it was around the same time we had a theme for Wagadu. So close to a year. It's like if you just make an episode that even if it's like relatively low quality audio, as long as it's listenable, you can build on that. Sure. If you've never done audio editing before, it's probably going to take you longer at first, but you're going to get a lot quicker and better at it as you go. And then who knows? Maybe you're going to get to step Mm -hmm. things up or you can eventually afford better equipment. Same thing with DMing. If you start like 
small and I just like, hey, let's just have like a fun little adventure one shot thing that I'm not building an entire world in order to be able to play. You can then start to build the world gradually as the campaign stretches out. And suddenly you look back and you have, you know, dozens of NPCs over the course of like 30, 40 sessions and all these incredible mm-hmm. moments and conflicts. And there's so many plot elements that are now in play that you don't even have to do as much planning anymore. You're just like looking at, okay, so how's this plot developing? I would say release the pressure, which is is another way of saying just kind of like start within your means. Start small. Don't try and swing for the fences right off the bat because you could hurt yourself. Yes. Just to tack on what I said about doing your best, I think like realizing that is your best right now. That's your best. And that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like that, I think, is like absolutely just being like, this is my level right now. This is what I can do. I'm going to do that the best I can. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So if it's slightly shoddy editing, you've do it our first couple episodes i don't even want to go back and listen to those because they'd make me want to vomit most likely they're really not they're good people are listening to them and being like oh Oh, no no the actual content is good i'm talking about the editing (laughs) i'm talking about the editing where i'm probably like oh what is this i didn't notice anything weird exactly it's that dm thing you had all of this stuff you're like oh i made all these mistakes the listeners are like i thought it was good yeah 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 Yeah. I don't know, it was good. Yeah. It was good. Nothing weird, nothing too bad. I mean, nothing that stuck out anyway. I do listen to it like double the speed. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> maybe that influences. That smooths over some of the cracks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Basically, I'm uh, tacking onto what you both said once again. For both running games and also making content, is both just dive straight in, just dive into it, and also do what you enjoy. Because if you are excited, I love excitement. If you're excited about what you're putting together in terms of making a game, it's going to turn out well. I find if I'm trying to force something and make a world that I'm like not at all excited about, I'm like, oh, this is a more of a chore than anything. Oh, I hate this. But if you're like making something that you're like, oh, but maybe I could do this and do that. And if I oh, base it on this thing and this kind of lore and yeah, just like build something that really makes your mind active, which as somebody with ADHD is really important making sure that you have something that will really capture your interest is super important with like making a world and also yeah don't be afraid to just get into it you will get better so just making sure that you take that first step is really important and then also Mm. in terms of making content yeah same thing because like if i hadn't been just like streaming on twitch even though i had no idea what i was doing and just like trying to kind of like get my face out there and like just create content then i wouldn't be where i am now it's like how did like such a little fluke of me like proving that i could like make content i eventually get me into like dicebreaker and then into 3bh well i'm pretty sure we found you through streaming i don't even think it was through dicebreaker (laughs) i got you because i think it was honey and dice shout out to honey i literally asked honey (laughs) uh, i asked the group because we were recording a thing with honey (laughs) I was like, hey, do any of you know any (laughs) black female creators who are based in the UK? Because I don't. And they were like, sure. And Honey gave me some names. And uh, yeah, you were one of them. You were a Honey and Dice suggestion. Well, then perfect. Like, yeah, no, like, yeah, just put yourself out there. Yeah, do not overthink it. Don't think, oh, it's not going to be good enough. Just do the thing. Do the thing. It'll be great. And as always, realize that you're the unique part of any idea that you have. Mm. Like nowadays, the amount of content that's out there, it's truly impossible to come up with something absolutely unique and original. So just realize that like you're bringing the unique part to the table. The idea will 
it'll convalesce and become whatever it needs to be. You know, like this show is very different to what it started out and it will probably be very, very different in a year's time. And that's just because I think we just trust ourselves as a trio and wider sort of 3BH team and family that we'll kind of make the right choices in the moment. The people will come along with us because they're probably here for us more than anything else, which is yes. definitely like a weird thing to think, you know what I mean? Because you kind of define yourselves by your ideas. But if you just kind of let go and be like, no, I'm bringing my own uniqueness to this, then, you know, the sky's your limit with a lot of these things. Thank you so much, you three, for making some time to chat with me. It's been so much fun. Like I said, I've loved your show. I've loved the new perspectives it's given me and the things that it's taught me. And I've loved laughing at all of your jokes as well. Uh, nothing's better than like walking around or doing my work or mowing the lawn and like laughing out loud. And yeah. people are like, what is going on over there? I don't know. It's just it's the best. So where can people find the show? Where can they find you each individually? And um, yeah, anything else you want to plug here? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at DurstDarkMagic. That is me. You can follow me if you would like to. You can follow me on Twitter at JeremyCobb1. And that's Cobb with two Bs and the number one. And you can follow me at JW underscore Cartwright. And you can follow our show over at the number three, Black Halflings. And then the plug, I always like to do this. I hope it doesn't ever come across as pretentious, but someone did it for uh, like us once, and I always just, I just really loved it. So, which is just like, if there's any three black halflings people that are listening to this because we're here, please carry on listening yeah. and loving the show because yeah. it's great, and we love Derek, and so please just show some love and some Heck support yeah. because it's great. We're all out here supporting each other, and you know, it's great. Stick around. <laughs> Thank you so Thank you much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Awesome. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow, thank you all so much for tuning in to Season 3 of How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Carrie Smith of Crossroads Games. Some of my favorite moments are when I just shut up. And the players are able to just weave themselves into RP that, like, you you, you can't plan for that. Like, you, you can't plan for the players being this spe- spectacular. To hear more about how Carrie got into gaming, how she got into streaming specifically, and all of the cool stuff that she has been working on since she got started, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks into my guests and who's upcoming. You can also pay for the top tier to influence the show by submitting questions that I will ask my guests. Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps a ton, but the best way to help the show grow is to share this episode with your friends or family who you play TTRPGs with. Referrals are really the best way for me to find new years. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. Shout out to Matt and JR. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacap. And the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for links to their great work. And as always, until next time, roll some nat 20s for me.